Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk. How's everybody doing today? So good to see you guys. It has already been an incredible, incredible Sunday, and I'm so excited. Just uh, Christmas is 10 days away, and we're in part two of this Christmas series, and um, I'm just pumped to be here today. So if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the New Testament, um, to the book of Matthew. The Bible's divided into uh, these two large sections uh, of Scripture. The first is the Old Testament, and then the second is the New Testament. At the front of the New Testament, we've got four books there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that we call the Gospels. And we call them the Gospels because gospel means good news. And the reason those books are good news is because they tell the story of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to find ourselves in just a moment in uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1, and we'll begin with verse 18 when we get there in just a few minutes. Um, Today is part two of a series that we're calling Searching for Christmas, where we're simply taking a look at what the Bible says about the true meaning of Christmas in order to discover ways that we might be able to apply that true meaning inside the chaos of our lives that takes place in the midst of this Christmas season with all the the gift wrap and the greeting cards and the family and the food and the festivities and the get-togethers and everything. Is it possible for us to discover and apply the true meaning of Christmas to our lives in light of all of those things. And last week, we kicked off this series by taking a look at first an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Isaiah that was then fulfilled in the gospel of Luke when uh, a Christ child was promised in Isaiah and some 700 years go by and then the Christ child shows up on the scene in a manger in a sleepy little town of Bethlehem that, that Jesus Christ came as the light of the world. He stepped down from heaven into our darkness. And we learn that because he has overcome the darkness, that through him, we can overcome the darkness. Amen? Amen. Today, I want to talk to you about waiting. I want to talk to you about a season of waiting. And I can remember as a little kid, Uh, My grandfather pastored the church that we attended and um, around the holidays, it was always um, it was always a tradition that uh, that my, my mom's side of the family that we would all gather at um, what I affectionately refer to as Gamma and Gampa's house. Those are my grandparents on my mom's side, and so Christmas Eve would roll around, and and we would get all of this stuff together, and 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 this was a, a tradition that happened the same way in the same order every single year, and um, the way that we did the gift exchange was if you were one of the adults in the family, you just drew names and you traded gifts with one other person. But if you were a grandkid, everybody had to buy you a gift. Jackpots. You got a gift from every, you know, every single person, every single family unit. And so I was the grand, I was a grandchild and I was the oldest grandchild. So not only did I get a gift from everybody, but I was in charge of all the other grandchildren. And so I had them do my bidding and it was an awesome time at Christmas Eve at my grandparents' house. And, and so we would show up and, and we would get there and we would bring all the stuff in and, and underneath the tree, there would be like the section with the adult gifts, you know, just 
just their measly little, little one gift over here. And then on this side of the tree, it would be the section with the grandkid gifts, you know, like a big pile of gifts. And there were like gifts on top of gifts, falling off of gifts. And that is, we would come in and I would just stare and I'm, mm, I wonder what that is. I can't wait. But I knew that there were some hurdles to overcome before I would ever be able to open those gifts. First off, we had to start out with dinner. And dinner was always, as long as I can remember, every Christmas Eve at my grandparents' house, it was lasagna and salad and garlic bread and sweet tea. And, and I can remember we were relegated to the kids' table and everybody had to finish their dinner. You know, you, you had to, if you want to open presents, you got to eat your dinner. And so I would hurry up and eat my dinner and clean my plate. And the adults in the other room were going back for seconds and thirds and fourths. And it's like, my Lord, how much lasagna can you people eat? Are we not out yet, you know? And this is taking forever. And so it would go on and, and we're, you know, at the, at the grandkids' table, you know, we're like, we're fussing about our our parents and everything, they're taking so long and they're keeping us from our presence and, and all this stuff and everything. And dinner finally ended. And so we would all go as a group into the living room and we would gather around the tree. And, but it wasn't time to open gifts yet because my, my family coming from a, a, a ministry family and, and several people were, were musically talented and inclined, um, we, would, we would all have to go around the room and, and provide some sort of musical offering to the celebration that evening. And so you would have somebody over here that would, that would play something on their keyboard and somebody over here would play a selection on the guitar and then you'd have a trio singing a, a number back here and then someone would play the trumpet and then the trombone and it's like, my Lord was this ever going to end. And then after that, I kid you not, we would open up the piano bench and my grandfather would pass out sheet music to everyone. And we would sing carol after Christmas carol after Christmas carol after Christmas carol. And I knew, and he would sit there like in his wingback chair and he would like cross his legs and everything and, like, and he would direct the choir. Like as we all sang Christmas carols, and, and I knew like the song that we're waiting for is O Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. Because once we get to that song, that's the last song we're gonna sing. All right, and it was the same way every single year. And so I would rejoice when O Beautiful Star of Bethlehem would be passed out and we were finally there to the end, except we weren't to the end yet. Because then we had to read the Christmas story out of Luke chapter two. And I can remember at maybe the age of eight or nine that it was finally passed to me that it was my turn to read the Christmas story for everyone. And, and we would read out of Luke chapter two. And then as I got a little bit older and the grandkids below me got a little bit older, we passed it down to them. And so every grandkid took their turn to read the Christmas story. And then, and finally then, it was time to pass out the presents. And the waiting had come to an end. I've come to discover that Christmas and the, the season that comes along with it is often filled with a great deal of waiting. I mean, think about it. We will wait in traffic on our way to the store to wait in the parking lot for a parking space to then get inside the store and husbands will just wait on our wives for them to do the shopping, you know, like this is the time more than any other of the year. You see a dude just sitting in a store somewhere with a purse in his lap. Amen. <laughs> that's why, husbands, that's why you need to buy your wives a really nice purse, like a coach 
or, or uh, Michael Kors or Kate Spade or Louis Vuitton or something like that. That way, when you have to hold the purse, you're not embarrassed. You're not holding some piece of junk purse. You're holding something really nice. <laughs> Ladies, you can thank me for that later. And, and like that, that's what happens. Like we're all, we're just, we're just waiting. And then, and then when, when the husbands get done waiting with, for their wives and, and, and the, the shopping cart is full, we go and we stand in line and we wait at the register so that we can pay. A lot of people in this season, we're waiting for family to arrive. Some people in this season are waiting for family to leave. <laughs> Kids, you're waiting for Christmas break to roll around and teachers. Everyone else is waiting for Christmas break to be over so the kids can go back to school, you know, get out of my hair, you're driving me crazy, you know? We're all waiting. If you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you're just waiting on the next Mandalorian episode to drop. Like, is it Friday yet? Like, hashtag Baby Yoda. Like, that's, that's all that we're waiting on. And everybody is waiting on Santa Claus to show up with his big bag of goodies, right? Like that's what we are waiting on. And in the midst of all of that with the season, some of us, we're waiting on a miracle to happen. Some of us are waiting on God to show up in the middle of our situation. We're waiting on God to restore a relationship with a spouse. We're waiting on God to call a prodigal child to return back home. We're waiting on God to come through and help us break that stronghold of addiction in our lives. We're waiting on God to show up and bring healing to that loved one who has had cancer. And the list goes on and on and on. We're waiting in this season. And as the great theologian from Gainesville, Florida, Tom Petty once said, the waiting is the hardest part. The waiting is the hardest part. You know, the, the people of Israel, they were no strangers to waiting themselves. As we talked about last week, and as I mentioned earlier, there was, there were some prophecies about this Christ child that was gonna come that, that, that um, we find in the book of Isaiah that the prophet Isaiah delivered to the people of Israel. And, and, and even though he communicated those things as if they were already happening or had already happened, it was some 700 years before the nation of Israel would ever see that fulfilled. That when he said, Behold, a son will be born unto you, a child will be given, and you will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all of those things. Like it was 700 years before that ever came to fruition. And what's even more interesting, I think, is that, that some 300 years after Isaiah prophesied that the Christ child was coming, we find ourselves at the end of the Old Testament. They're at the end of the book of Malachi. And so what a lot of people don't realize is that even though like the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament in our Bibles is, is just one page turn or, or on our smart devices, it's just one swipe that in the midst of that page turn or that one swipe is actually 400 years that pass where God doesn't speak anything. That from the, the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi all the way to the gospels of the New Testament, that there's a 400 year gap there where nothing happens and the nation of Israel is just waiting for this child to appear. 
And it's important to know that in, in the final verses of, of the last chapter of Malachi that closes out the Old Testament, there's actually a prophecy there. And through the prophet Malachi to the people of Israel, the, the, Lord, the Lord tells them or, or sends them this message. And he says that, that Elijah is going to return before the coming or the dawning or the beginning of the day of the Lord, and that when that happens, that hearts, the hearts of fathers will be turned towards their children, and the, the hearts of the children will be turned toward their fathers. And so we, we get that prophecy, and then we fast forward all the way to the New Testament, and we find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke in chapter one, and, and an angel by the name of Gabriel comes, and he, he taps a man by the name of Zechariah on the shoulder. Zechariah was of the priestly order, and he happened to be working in the temple this evening, and, and, and for 400 years, God hadn't shown up on the scene at all. God hadn't delivered a message to anyone, and, and then this angel comes and he delivers a message to Zechariah to let him know that his wife, Elizabeth, who was actually barren, was in fact going to become pregnant and was going to have a son that they would name John. And that this son named John, that, that when he came, the hearts of the fathers would turn towards the children and the hearts of the children would be turned towards their fathers and that during his lifetime, he would usher in the coming of the Lord, that he would make way for the coming of the Lord. So the Old Testament ends with a prophecy. The New Testament begins with that prophecy fulfilled. Six months after that, that same angel appears to a young woman by the name of Mary to let her know that, that she has been chosen and that, that she is going to become pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit and that she will give birth to the Messiah, to a son named Jesus. And then shortly thereafter, that same angel shows up to a man named Joseph, who is Mary's fiance to deliver a message to him as well. And we pick up in Matthew chapter one with verse 18. My Bible reads this way. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. This is actually a reference all the way back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. In verse 23, the, the angel says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so when this angel comes on the scene and taps Zechariah on the shoulder and then goes and visits Mary and then finally appears to Joseph, 
He's got messages for all of them, but essentially what the angel is saying is the wait is over. Jesus, which means the Lord saves, is coming to deliver the people of Israel. And not only that, but he is coming as Emmanuel. He will be God with us, God with skin on. The angel was simply proclaiming that the almighty God was coming into the world in the form of flesh and blood. He was telling them, the one that you've heard about, the one that you have prayed for, the one that you have been seeking and searching and looking for all this time is finally going to make his way here and he is going to walk among you. In John's gospel, he writes about it this way. He says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Later in the New Testament, the, uh, the apostle Paul confirms what the gospels have to say about Jesus coming in the flesh as God with us. When he writes, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So we have these Old Testament prophecies that are now coming true in the gospels and the gospel writers are, are affirming that yes, this, this has happened and, and this thing is taking place that was written about so long ago and then later Paul is confirming what these gospel writers have written that Jesus himself in fact did come from heaven and step out into this earth and walk among us as flesh and blood. But yet some people, knowing all of that, still say, yeah, that's all fine and good. But where is he in my situation? Where can I find Jesus in the middle of, of my life and the stuff that I'm dealing with? Because when I look around, I can't seem to find him anywhere. He may be called Emmanuel. He may be God with us, but I'm finding difficulty seeing where he is in my life. And so the question is, is that if he is truly Emmanuel, if he is the fulfillment of these prophecies as the, the gospel authors claimed and as Paul confirmed later in the New Testament, if he is truly God with us, then where can we find him? And so today I wanna to give you five places that we can find the presence of God. Five places that we can find the presence of God. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. Five places that we can find the presence of God. Number one, we find the presence of God in other people. We find the presence of God in, in people. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, 
It says, if, if two or three people come together in my name, I am there with them. If two or three people come together in, in, in my name, then I am there with him. That's all that it takes. All it takes is, is for you to be with one other person in the name of the Lord. And then he, according to the promises of his word, is right there in the midst of that relationship, of that, of that union. That's why we gather here every single week the way that we do on a Sunday morning. There's more than two or three gathered here. Is there, is there anybody here? Can I, can I get a, a witness that there's somebody here in the name of Jesus this morning? Is there a few people? Yeah, so that means then that if we're two or three or more are gathered together in his name, that he is there in the midst of them according to the promise of his word. So his presence is here with us today. And that's why we've come together to celebrate and we invite his presence to come and be with us in this place. So we are in the presence of the Lord right now. The same thing happens when we attend a small group with other believers and we join together, be it in an activity or a Bible study or whatever it is that we would be doing whenever we come together and, and we're, we're, around, um, we're around a living room or around a table or, or in, in an athletic field or, or on the beach or wherever that might be, we're with other believers, then guess what? According to the promise of the Lord from his word, he is there in the middle of that. That means that when you sit around the dinner table with your family, and before you get ready to partake of the meal, you, you grab hands and, and you invoke a blessing over that meal before you break bread with one another, then guess what that means? That means that Jesus and his presence shows up there in the middle of that dinner table, that, that wherever we gather with other believers, that when the people of God come together in the name of God, that he shows up there with them. First place we find his presence is in other people. The second place that we can find the presence of the Lord is in our praise, in our praise. Psalm 22 verse three says, yet you are holy, talking about God, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And when you go back to the original language of that word enthroned, you look in the Hebrew, we actually discover that it, it literally means to dwell, to sit, to abide, to remain. And so what happens is, if I can paint this picture for you, then, then we come into this place and, and, and two, two or three or more people are gathered together in his name. And then what happens is, is, is we begin to lift up praises unto God. Every week we start off our services and someone, someone plays a song and, and we stand up and we, we sing and, and, and we proclaim his attributes and, and we glorify and we magnify and we lift up the name of the Lord in this place place. And what that does is that creates a space that creates an atmosphere. It's, it's in essence like we are building a chair for, for God to come and sit and just be with us because he is enthroned. He, he inhabits the praises of his people. But if that's true, 
then that would also mean that not only is he present in our praises here, but that that's not limited to just these four walls. That means that any time we are to lift up or we, we lift up a praise unto God, that, that he will show up and, and be enthroned in those praises. That means that uh, on your commute, on the way to work, in your car, you lift up praises. Guess what's going to happen? He's going to come and he's going to dwell. He's going to inhabit. He's going to sit, remain in those praises. That means that if you're in your living room or if you're in your, your bedroom or if you're out on the beach or wherever it is that you may go, if there is a praise in your mouth in the presence of the Lord is not far away because when we lift up a praise to him, he inhabits, he comes and dwells in the praises of his people. So if you're looking for God this morning, maybe you just need to lift up a praise and he will show up in the middle of it. Five places we can find his presence in people in our praise. Number three, in our prayers. In our prayers, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a very well-known, oft-used verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans not to harm you, but to give you a future with hope. A lot of the time, we just stop right there. We never go past that verse into the two verses that follow into 12 and 13. But I wanna, I wanna read those for you this morning. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. It says, in those days, when you pray, note that it doesn't say if you pray. It says when you pray. There's an expectation there. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. This is the Lord talking. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. It doesn't say I might listen. It doesn't say that if there's nothing better going on, then I could possibly get around to listening. He says, no, when you pray, I will listen. And then, and then verse 13 is tied to it. He says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. God's not playing games. He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to, to, to disguise himself or keep himself from us. He's saying, when you come to me and pray, I'm gonna listen. When you look for me, I, I'm gonna show you where I am. And so when we come before the Father and we get down on our knees and we begin to pray, it's like, it's like a shining, a, a searchlight and, and we're out there looking and he jumps into the middle of it and says, here I am, I'm right here. The one that you've been looking for, the one that you need, the one that you're calling on, I'm right here. So when you pray, I'm gonna listen and then I'm gonna show up in the middle of your situation. But too many people that I know, they live their life this way. Well, I've done everything that I know to do. I guess I'll just pray now. What? Yeah, well, you know, we went and we got advice from that person and talked to this person and, and got a second opinion from this doctor and we went and we talked to the person at this bank and we went over here and we did this and we've done everything that we know to do. I guess now we'll just pray. Look, that's backwards. We need to flip that around. We need to start with prayer. We need to start out by seeking after the Lord. And he tells us in his word that when we do that, he is going to hear us and he is going to show up and let us find him whenever we seek after him. Oswald Chambers said it this way. We tend to use prayer as our last resort. 
but God wants us to use it as our first line of defense. If you're having trouble finding the Lord in your life, finding his presence, maybe you just need to cry out to him in prayer and he will show up in the middle of your situation. We find him in other people. We find him in our praise. We find him in our prayers. Number four, we find him in the midst of our pain. We find him in the midst of our pain. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He's close to the brokenhearted. You know what that means? If you're hurting today, the presence of God is there. You can't be close to something without being present. Close speaks to proximity. In order to be close to something, you you have to be in the same vicinity. You have to be in the same atmosphere. So if you're hurting today, it's not that God has pushed you to the side. It's not that he has overlooked you, that he's forgotten about you, that he doesn't care about you. It's that he's giving you an opportunity to draw close to him, that it's not about your strength. It's not about your ability. It's not about the things that you can accomplish, but it's all about him wanting to reveal his strength in the middle of your weakness. And to do that, he has drawn close to those who are hurting. In the middle of your sickness, he is there. In the middle of your struggle, he is there. In the middle of your suffering, your sorrows, he is close to the broken hearted. So if you're in pain, It's not because God has left you, but yet it's that he's creating an opportunity for you to draw close to him so that you can feel his presence. People, praise, prayer, pain. The fifth way, fifth place we can find the presence of the Lord is in his plan, in his plan. Matthew 28, verses 18 and 20 record some of the very last words that Jesus ever spoke to his disciples before he's getting ready to ascend into heaven and he's leaving them with final instructions. And these few verses are what we've come to call the Great Commission. In verse 18, Jesus says, or it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this. It's the best part. And he saved the best for last. Be sure of this. I am with you always even to the end of the age. As you're doing all of those things, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What that tells me is that if you and I will simply choose to live our lives in a way that honors the Lord and is obedient to his commandments, he's gonna be right there with us. 
If we'll just make our lives about doing the things that he's told us to do, he's going to be right there with us. We're, we're not gonna have to search for him. We're not gonna have to look for him. He, he's gonna be right there. If, we, if we'll make our life to be about living for him, he's gonna be there with us. So if you're in the middle of a situation today and you're trying to find where is the presence of God, get around some other people, some godly people and see if he doesn't show up. Spend some time opening up your mouth and and lifting up a praise to him and see if he won't come and dwell in the midst of it. Cry out to him in prayer and, and see if he doesn't reveal himself to you. Lean into your pain, into your weakness, into your struggle and see if he won't show up there drawing close to the brokenhearted to bring you comfort and peace. Commit your life to his plan, to just doing the things that he's called you to do. And as you do day after day after day, taking one more step, one more step with your arrow pointed in the direction of the Lord. See if he doesn't show up in the middle of your life. See, I didn't realize it at the time, but as a kid in my grandparents' living room on Christmas Eve, there was a a principle that was being instilled in me that at that point I wasn't able to appreciate, but now it's become so clear. What my grandparents wanted me to remember and what I believe the Lord wants all of us to grab a hold of here today is that Christmas isn't about presents. It's about his presence. Christmas isn't about presents. It's about his presence. Jesus didn't come to this earth so that we just have a cool story to tell and a reason to put up trees and decorations and get the newest iPhone. Like that's not why he came. He came to this earth to grace us with his presence so that he could be with us shoulder to shoulder, walk alongside in flesh and blood, that he could be Emmanuel, God with us. And in the areas of our lives today where we find ourselves waiting, you and I need to come to realize that we're not waiting alone. He's there. Your family may have turned their backs on you. Your friends may have long since given up and thrown in the towel. Acquaintances around you may look at you and scoff and mock and say, why in the world are you still choosing to hold out hope? Maybe the enemy has come into your life and gotten a hold of your ear and tried to convince you that you've been forgotten about. No one's listening. No one cares. You've been overlooked and pushed to the side. Maybe you yourself are teetering on the edge of giving up and calling it quits. Hear me today, you are not alone. Because the true meaning of Christmas, it's not about presents. It's about his presence. Jesus has come. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. 
And the same news that the angel Gabriel came to deliver to Zechariah and to Mary and to Joseph, he has come to deliver to us today. The wait is over. Christ has come. And he is Emmanuel, God with us. But the question is, are we gonna choose to recognize his presence today? Will we choose to recognize it? With every head bowed, every eye closed all over this room. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Blake, I've, I've never recognized the presence of the Lord in my life. But today I realize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I'm ready to step into the fullness of the presence of God and embrace him in my life. I'm ready to surrender my life to him and ask him to be Lord of my life, that he wouldn't just be God with me, but that he would be God in me. I wanna invite him to come into my life today to be my Lord and to be my savior. If that's you, if you just make that known to me and to your heavenly father this morning, just by putting your hand up really quickly, just put it up and put it right back down. Is there anyone else? Anyone else? If that's you this morning, I wanna I want invite you to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand or, or not. It's gonna be on the screen back behind me if you, if you need it. But can we just pray this together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. You know, maybe you're here today as well and you just say, Pastor Blake, there, there's, there's a situation going on in my life. There's something that I'm walking through, something that I'm dealing with and it, it seems like God is so far off. I need him to step in. I, I need him to draw close. I need to feel and experience his presence. I need to know this morning that he is with me. If that's you, then in just a moment as the band continues to lead us in worship, I wanna want invite you to come forward and this altar's open. I'd be honored for the opportunity to pray with you, believe along with you. You know what you're gonna do? Can we just stand together? Let's get ready to worship the Lord. And if that's you, you would say, I, I need an extra special measure of his, his grace, his, his touch, his presence in my life. And I invite you to come forward and receive prayer. And along with that, receive his presence today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.